invite you to open your Bible with me to uh, the New Testament, to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5, and we'll read there in just a moment. And uh, I want us to consider what the Apostle Peter wrote uh, to Christians scattered throughout the Roman Empire who were experiencing some persecution. Several years ago, I I had the privilege of meeting with a group of Christian believers living in Indonesia on the island of Sumatra, the capital city there of Maidan. So right outside the capital city, about four and a half million people uh, met with these group of believers who were also experiencing some persecution. I have a few pictures here. I had the privilege of sitting with this group, and uh, there's some other people in this room. Uh, it's kind of what their house looked like. But we sat like this together for three days, uh, eight to ten hours a day. I sat on a, wasn't quite as used to it as they were, but sat on a concrete floor, leaning up against the wall, and taught the Bible three days straight, eight to ten hours a day, and only took breaks for meals. And uh, you can keep that picture up there just for a moment. I'll get to that in just a moment. But... As I spent breaks with them, as we, uh, and all this was through an interpreter, some of the younger ones could speak English, so, but I began to hear stories about them being persecuted. Um, uh, that was pretty common in where they live, and so girls shared the story of them going door to door in different villages outside their community, trying to talk to people about Asu. Jesus, and they were run out of villages, and there was a young lady named Betta, and Betta had a, actually a scar on her forehead where their people in the community threw rocks at them, and they would just leave that area and go to another place, door to door, trying to find people who would listen, people of peace, and another young man professed faith in Christ, and when he did, being from a Muslim background, his parents rejected him. He had brought shame to his family because he had left the Muslim faith and had followed Jesus. And so uh, they shamed him and forbid him ever to come back into their home. Another young man had to close his business. He was a barber. He had a little small barber shop in the community. And once he became a follower of Jesus, everyone got together and boycotted his business, and so he lost all of his income. And then my friend here, Martin, um, he was, he's kind of the leader there, and Martin has been arrested time after time after time and put in jail, sometimes overnight, sometimes for two or three days because, uh, because of his faith and sharing his faith. And so as I listen to all these stories of these believers, as you can imagine, it's pretty convicting, you know, pretty convicting, but also very encouraging. And, and I would say this guy right here, a little Batak Indonesian guy, um, become one of my heroes. His, his name is actually Martin Luther. His, his, uh, his background was the Batak Indonesians. There were some missionaries years and years ago and, and who became Christian, but they're, they're, now they've become very nominal. They're Christian in name only, but his dad named him Martin Luther. So, so Martin is my buddy. He always says he wants to come to America and eat my, eat my we used to have a little Bichon. He wanted to come here and eat our dog. 
because the Batak Indonesians love, they think dogs are a delicacy. So he'd always say to me, Park Charlie, you know, I, bro, I come, I come there and we eat the Wally, we eat the dog. And, and I said, no, Martin, we're not eating the dog. My, my point in telling you this is there are, there are people who are experiencing uh, persecution because of their faith. And you may not know this, that, but the majority of believers around the world, somewhere between 75 and 80%, it's more normal in our world for believers to be persecuted than not. Peter is writing his letter to Christians who are experiencing persecution, and um, he's calling on them to persevere, just to persevere, to continue to keep their faith in Christ, and he says to them, it will be worth it. If, uh, before we read our main text, if you have your Bible, look what he says to them uh, before we look in chapter 5. But in chapter 4, starting in the 12th verse, he says to them some things about um, persevering. Look at verse 12, 1 Peter 4. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing is happening to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you also will be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. These believers were suffering, experiencing persecution. Paul or Peter writes to them to encourage them, persevere, stay with it. It's going to be worth it in that day. And then if you notice, if you have your Bible in chapter five, the first few verses, he provides some instructions. And I'm not going to read this, but in the first four verses, he then calls on the leaders of the church, calls them to care for the flock, the elders, Shepherd the church. They need encouragement. They need care. And so he's saying to the leaders, take good care of the church. And notice in verse 1, there's a team approach. A plurality of elders are to shepherd, to provide oversight for the church. Paul prescribes the same thing in 1, Peter, or 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. He tells Titus to amend what's defective in the church by appointing elders. And for these men who are apt to teach, who have pastoral gifts and a pastoral heart, work together to shepherd and to care for the church. And then he provides some larger instruction, which I want us to consider, starting in 1 Peter 5, in the first myth, 
uh, verse, fifth verse, I'm sorry. First Peter 5, starting in verse 5, read with me together. This will be our main text where we consider service and humility. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Pray with me. Father, in these remaining minutes, we pray that your spirit would speak to us and minister to each of us in a personal way through your word and give us ears to hear you as you speak. And I pray, Lord, that our wills would be soft and pliable, ready to respond however your spirit may speak to us today. And Father, for those who might be here this morning who have never humbled themselves and asked you to forgive their sins and to give them salvation, I pray today would be a day of a new beginning, of new life for them. As you build your church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, at the end of the message, you may have noticed there's some chairs and up front here, and uh, the reason I'm speaking on humility and service is because we're going to ordain some new deacons and their wives, which means all of us uh, are going to set them apart publicly uh, to serve. And I want us to consider what Peter says to the church regarding service. These are his closing words to the congregation. And I would ask you to consider with me that closing words are important. Closing words are important. Jesus' first words to his disciples were identical to his closing words. One of the first things that Jesus said to them was, follow me and I will do what? Make you fishers of men. Follow me and I'm going to show you how to reach others. What were his last words? Now go and make disciples. Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. His last words, now go, I'll be with you to the very end and make disciples. As Peter closes the letter, these are his final words. These are the exhortations which he gives to this church, which are applicable for us and very contemporary. And so in verse 5, the first thing that he says to this church, closing words, is he provides this all-round general good principle for church health, a principle for all of us as God's people to follow. And I'm not just talking about a principle to follow when we're gathered together in these walls as the body of Christ. This is a good principle just to establish in my life, in your life on a daily basis. What's the principle? He says that the younger members of the church are to submit to the elders. Younger to submit to the elders. So what does that mean? The word younger, it's a little surprising 
The word younger there, naos, is the actual word. It doesn't mean young in the sense of age that we think, but younger here means literally new, new. So he's not referring to a person's age, to how old they are or how young they are. Rather, he's referring to new believers, young believers. He's describing those who've been recently saved, reference to a person who's been newly converted, newly generated. And if you can imagine, if you were a Christian at the time that Peter is writing this and experiencing some persecution, it might be good for you to submit yourself to those who are more mature. That's what he's saying. So the principle for all of us is those of us who are newer in the faith, newer Christians, newly converted, are to submit to the elders. We're to submit to the presbyteros, presbyteros, to these older believers, more mature believers in the faith. Now, I would be the first person to, to defend that there is value and wisdom that comes with age and value and wisdom that comes with experience. But Peter is being much more specific than just that. He's saying those who are mature, these elders in the faith, are to provide good leadership and care for those who are newer in the faith, younger in the faith. And these who are younger, newer in the faith, are to submit and to follow the example of those who are more mature. Consider these questions. If I am a more seasoned Christian, a mature Christian, if You've known the Lord Jesus for many, many years, and you know his word, and your faith has matured. Let me ask you this question. Are you setting an example for others to follow? Are you setting a godly, spiritual example for other people to follow? And would it be good if all younger Christians, newer Christians in the church, would it be good if they all lived like Jesus the way I do? That's the, that's the consideration. You remember 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, follow me or imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I remember several years ago when I was studying 1 Corinthians 11 and read that, I thought, no, no, I don't want anybody to follow me. I don't want anyone to follow my example. I want them to follow Christ. And then I began to realize one of the things that happens in the body of Christ is God's people. We need people to be spiritual role models, to model things for us, to model a, a life of holiness and godliness, a life of prayer and devotion to scripture and service models. And so that's, that's the idea. Parents and grandparents, you are to be spiritual models of faith and devotion to your kids and grandkids. Would you want all of your grandkids, if you're a grandparent, would you want it? Would you be happy if they all modeled your faith in Christ? So that's the idea. So that's the good general principle. And then second, he gets into a little more larger example. And that's where he uh, speaks to the whole church. He says, all of them in verse five, he says, clothe yourselves with humility. Clothe yourselves with humility. It's one of the great virtues of the church, a sure sign of healthy followers of Christ who have healthy relationships, a key to healthy relationships. If you're here this morning and you're maybe having some 
struggles in your marriage, relationship issues with other people, there's a, there's a word here from the Lord for you. It's his closing exhortation, final words, directed to all of the church. Clothe yourselves with humility. So I began to do a little study this week and thinking about that word, humility. It's from a Greek word, tereno. Tereno, and it refers to the mind, to a way of thinking. All of you could say, yeah. I recognized when I'm not thinking well. I'm aware when my thoughts are not the way they should be, right? So this word humility has to do with the way that you think. And it literally means to rein in or to curb your thoughts. To rein in or to curb your thoughts. That all cognitive thinking, logic, and reasoning is to be surrendered and controlled by God. By God. By God through the Holy Spirit, Spirit through the scriptures, as God begins to reveal things to us through his word, then we say, God, I want my thoughts, my thinking, my logic, my reasoning, all of that to be controlled by you. Every thought, Paul described it, where every thought is taken captive by God. Peter's call is to all of us to be clothed with humility. A call to change the way we think and relate to God first and then to change the way we think and relate to other people where we begin to put the needs and the interests of others ahead of our own. That's what we read about in Philippians 2 earlier, right? If there's any encouragement in Christ, any incentive of love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of one mind and of one accord, doing nothing through selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, counting the interests of others being far more important than your own. How many of you think that would say, before God, I need a good dose of humility, Lord. Where I would count the interests of those around me, of family members, of my spouse, where I would count their interests more important than my own. Humility. That's Philippians 2. And he says that was the mind of Christ. That's the way Christ lived. That's the way Christ modeled for us to live. Let this attitude, this mind be in you, which is also yours in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, or he was equal with God, but did not consider it robbery, right? But humbled himself, humbled himself. And so that's the model, that's the example. That's what Paul is saying. That's the same thing that Peter is saying. Jesus' mind, his thinking was clothed with humility. Controlled by God, empowered by the Spirit of God. And so that's the command to us. It's, and he says, be clothed. It's, it's intentional, like putting on clothes. Be clothed with humility, this mindset. Uh, I got up this morning, went through my normal Sunday morning routine, and the last thing I did uh, before I eventually headed out the door was put on my Sunday attire. These are my work clothes. I don't like wearing these clothes 
throughout the week, but they're Sunday clothes, work clothes. And if I, as I look around this morning, all of you did the same thing as well. You got dressed. As far as I can tell, every, everyone here put on clothes. <laughs> and so there was some intentionality. Some of you were probably more intentional about that than others. Um, Mindy's a little, generally a little more intentional about her clothes than I am. But there's an intention to it. We get dressed. We put on clothes. And so that's the idea. Peter is saying to all of us, to every member, to every follower of Christ, put on this Christ-like attitude, this mindset of humility. It's easy for me to picture that as the apostle Peter writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that he remembers a scene. An image comes to mind. Clothe yourselves with humility. Let God change. Let God permeate the way that you think about him and yourself and other people, putting their needs and interests above your own. And so as Peter writes this, clothe, be clothed with humility. This image comes to mind of Jesus being with him and the other 11 disciples in that upper room the Bible says after they ate a meal that Jesus got up. They were all probably seated on the floor around a little small table area. And after they'd finished, Jesus got up. And the Bible says that he took a towel and he girded himself. He wrapped a towel around himself. And then one by one, he went to all of the disciples and he began to wash their feet. And when he got to Peter, you remember Peter's response? Lord, you're never going to wash my feet. You're not washing my feet. And Jesus says to Peter, uh, you don't understand. And he begins to explain to them what it means to serve, to humble themselves and to serve. And so that washing of the feet was a cultural practice in the first century, right? People wore sandals and they traveled dusty roads. And so it was customary when someone came into the home and you offered them hospitality that there would be a basin there. And the washing of feet was an expression of hospitality. Those in that culture who had means, who had wealth, they never washed feet. They would hire it done by their servants because the washing of feet, although it was a cultural practice, it was still a very humiliating task reserved only for the most lowly of servants. I want to take just a moment and actually read this with you. Would you listen to this story? It's in John 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, he knew that it was about time for him to go to the cross. He knew his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. And supper being ended, the devil already having put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and he was going back to God, 
He rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And when he came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing, you do not understand right now, but you will know and understand later. Peter said to him in that case, I never want you to wash my feet. And Jesus said, Peter, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Then he said, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him, and therefore he said, you're not all clean. And when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, and this is the lesson, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for that's who I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. For most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. What's the lesson? Peter's writing to these Christians, telling them to humble themselves, to submit to one another, be clothed with humility. The lesson that Jesus was trying to get across is if we as Christian men and women are going to be effective in living for God and impacting this culture, being salt and light and reaching others with the gospel, it demands that we're clothed with humility. Jesus said, I did not come to be served. My purpose in life is not for everyone to serve and wait on me. I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life, to lay it down in humility. I don't believe that the scriptures from John 13, when Jesus says to his disciples, from now on you ought to wash one another's feet, has certainly applied in the first century in that culture, maybe to some further centuries. I don't think that literally means that you and I today are to wash people's feet. <laughs> uh, if Minnie and I invite you over and you come in the house and we have you for dinner and I say, hey, uh, why don't you all take off your feet and we started washing your feet, I guarantee you'd go tell everybody else and everyone <laughs> would be reluctant to come into our home for dinner. So a, a literal interpretation of that, I think, misses the entire point. What's the point? What's the lesson? If we're going to live for God, if we're going to follow Christ, it demands humility. That's the, that's the lesson. And this morning, as we ordain these men and set them and their wives apart for service in the church, and I want to I say this to us, that we have a clear understanding. When, when, you, when we set a deacon apart for service, it's a team, husband and wife together. Husband and wife together. Well, we'll ordain the man, but it's a team, team task. 
where they serve the Lord together. And we'll place hands on them like it says in Acts 6. What is the purpose of the laying on of hands? It's simply, it doesn't convey any spiritual power. It simply just says we, we affirm, we recognize their call to lead this church in service, in humble service. No job description. No job description in the New Testament for a deacon. They and their wives are just men and a couple, just men and women who say, whatever needs to be done in the church, however I can help, however I can make a difference, then count us in. And I would say this and just say it in love. If there are any deacons and spouses that don't have that attitude, go ahead and turn in your resignation. Go ahead and turn it in. If you don't like coming to deacons' meetings, you don't like carrying on widows and doing things like that, then just, just resign out of that role. This is a serious thing. Spiritual role models in the church, and this is what it looks like to honor God, to glorify him by serving other people. It's a big deal. And before we go through this ordination, just make a comment about this washing of feet. Somebody be wondering, well, if that's a first century cultural practice, then why are we going to do it today? If it's not literal, why do it? It seems weird to do that in church. And I, part of me that would say I completely agree. It's kind of weird. <laughs> um, it has no cultural relevance. It's certainly not required in the Bible that all Christians wash one another's feet. That, I don't think that was the idea. But I'll say this to you, for the last 30, 35 years, I didn't start out doing this in ministry, but for the last 30, 35 years when we've set apart deacons and their wives as a team to model spiritual service in the church, I've always thought the same things. I don't really want to do this. Seems kind of weird. What will people think? Certainly not literally necessary. You say, well, why do you do it? Because I think it's a symbol. And I think the Bible is full of symbols, and symbols are powerful. When we pray and anoint someone with oil from James 5, as it says to do, if any of you sick, call for the elders, anointing them with oil. And the prayers of it, the, the, there's no power in the oil, but it's a symbol, it's an expression. The symbol of the cross, the symbol of baptism, the symbol of the church gathering together to baptize. Those are powerful symbols that remind us of things. And so I do this, I've been doing it for 35 years because it's a good thing for me personally because preachers can easily get puffed up and thinking too highly of themselves than they should and get into trouble. It's good for me. And it reminds me of the importance of humility. It reminds me of, of my calling. And I think it's good for all of us. A reminder to be clothed with humility. And if you've not noticed this, our, our culture doesn't really value humility too much. Humility is viewed as weak. If you submit yourselves and you humble yourself before others, what will happen? Everybody will take 
advantage of you and will use you and manipulate you. People don't value humility today. But think about Jesus. He was humble, clothed in humility. And the Bible says that because Jesus humbled himself, God did what? God exalted him. God exalted him and gave him a name above every name in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And one day at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every knee will bow to the Lord Jesus Christ one day. And every tongue will confess him to the glory of God. Think about how different Christendom would be if every follower of Jesus Christ was clothed in humility, think about how differently churches would operate if every believer was clothed in humility. I was with a family this week, actually the Lauderdales, and they were gathered to, as her dad was getting ready to pass and began to ask some questions about him, and he quit going to church years and years ago because of some silly things that happened, and he got hurt, and he got disillusioned, and he never went back. Think about how different churches would be if everyone clothed themselves with humility. Can you imagine how different your marriage would be if both husbands and wives were clothed with humility, putting the needs and the interests of their spouse ahead of their own and happy to do it? The workplace would be different. Relatives, family, friends, relationships would be different. Peter exhorts newer Christians to submit to their more mature ones, and he adds the same exhortation applies to everyone to submit, to submit. And refers to an attitude, a mindset where I voluntarily relinquish my rights to put your needs and your interests ahead of my own. To bring God glory and to honor him. It's a choice. It's a choice we make. Being clothed in humility, living with a submissive attitude, I would say to you in closing, is rooted in the gospel. This mindset, this lifestyle, rooted in the gospel. Jesus was fully God, one with God, equal with God, but what? Humbled himself, set aside his rights, took on human flesh, his birth was humble, his life was that of a servant, humble service, and glorified the Father by serving, serving even unto death. His service unto death. He was clothed with humility. Peter calls you and I to do the same thing. The gospel constrains us, compels us to, to be clothed in humility. Jesus said, if you wanna, you wanna live a great life, some of you this morning, you're here and you're maybe kind of struggling with your life and you kind of feel like you're just in a rut and lack purpose and you want to know the key to living a great life, a purposeful life, a meaningful life, a fulfilling life, then be a servant. Be a servant. Serve your spouse, serve your family, serve coworkers, serve friends, church and family. Adopt a submissive mindset, clothed with humility. Well, I want to serve and I want to be a blessing to everyone that I can. I occasionally text our kids every morning, texting them this morning, all four of them, and 
Didn't do it this morning, but occasionally I'll say, hey, be a blessing to somebody today. Make a difference in somebody's life today. There's a brother here in our church and love him dearly and he shared a story with me recently that he loved to hunt. And, uh, and he said, I used to every year go away on hunting trips and be gone seven to 10 days at a time because I love to hunt. And he said, Pastor Charlie, don't get me wrong. I still love hunting as much as I ever had. But he said, I don't do it much anymore. I said, why is that? He said, because I realized the strain it was putting on my wife and my family. So I've just kind of tabled my hunting. Nothing wrong with hunting. I'm just using that example where this brother said, I want to relinquish my rights in order to be a blessing to my spouse and to my family more and more. You see, a servant clothed in humility will relinquish rights for other people, even when they don't deserve it. Even when they don't deserve it. Being clothed in humility is rooted in the gospel. And then notice in verse 6 of the text, Peter adds, and if you decide not to, if you decide not to be clothed in humility, to have a humble attitude and lifestyle to others, notice verse 6, then you should expect God's resistance in your life. What does that mean? What does it say? God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Man, I like watching football. I'm sad that college football is over, the season is over. You know what it means that God resists the proud? Well, if you think about an offensive lineman, right? When there's a pass play, what do they do? They stand up and they begin to backpedal. Just to backpedal. And what do they do? They resist. They resist the defensive rush. And they, when a defensive lineman is trying to get into the backfield, those offensive linemen resist. They jam them back and jam them back, and sometimes even hold them and throw them to the ground. They jam them back. That's, that's the idea of resistance. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to the humble. If you think too highly of yourself, thinking that you're superior, treating others as if they are beneath you, demanding your rights and your way, if you're quick to ridicule and condemn and judge other people, then what does the text say? It says you're pitting yourself against the mighty hand of God. Pitting yourself against the mighty hand of God. And as you follow Jesus and walk with him, my appeal is that you trust him and clothe yourself with this attitude of humility. Stop worrying about fairness. Stop worrying about being taken advantage of because you're going to be taken advantage of if you live this way. I think Jesus wasn't treated fairly. Jesus was certainly taken advantage of, but look at the impact of his life. And he said, trust him. Stop worrying about those things. I just trust the Lord, casting all your cares upon him. All your distractions, all the things that make you anxious, cast all of those things upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for you. I invite you to pray with me. As our deacons come. Father, there is a word here for all of us today.
all of us needing to be encouraged to trust you and to serve others, to follow your example, and to cast all of our cares upon you. With every head bowed and before we proceed in the service, just the first step to living a humble life and serving others and being clothed with humility, the first step is to surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've not done that this morning, if you've not done that in the past, where you said, Father God, I know you created me, I know you designed me to have a relationship with you, and I recognize that I'm a sinner, that I've sinned against you. And God, I want forgiveness. The Bible says this, if you will repent of your sins, if you'll ask God to forgive you, and you'll place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God promises that he'll forgive you. He'll forgive you. He'll clean the slate. All of your past sins, all your screw-ups, all of your mess-ups can all be forgiven, washed clean through faith in Christ. You can pray that prayer right where you are. And I would say this to you, if you pray that prayer and today is a new day of new beginning for you before you leave, would you would you come and share that with me or share that with someone else? You don't have to walk an aisle. You can pray that right where you are. God will hear you and God will save you. For the rest of us, perhaps in these closing moments, we need to just be still before God and confess pride and ask God to forgive us and say, God, I need your strength and to be clothed with humility, to submit, to live a submissive life where I put the needs of my spouse and my family and those around me ahead of my own. God, forgive me of my selfishness and self-centeredness. God, just forgive me and by your grace, let me have a fresh start. So let's just, just be still for a moment and just pray. However God is speaking to you, just pray. God will hear you. God will hear you. God knows your thoughts. Just, just pray. Father, we thank you that you hear the prayers of your people. I thank you, God, that you're working this morning, that you speak and you're God, that your word never returns void. Have your way in me. Bless us now as we set these brothers and their spouses apart for service unto you, that they would be clothed with humility. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.